0: Hello. I am going to leap right into today's show. I'm not even going to tell you what the second and third segments are because... Our first guest, whom we are very lucky to get, is on a tight schedule today. So we're going to put her right on the air. Lena Wen is making, I think, her fourth appearance on our show. Uh, She's an emergency room physician, a visiting professor at the George University uh, Milken Institute School of Public Health, uh, and a contributor to the Washington Post and to CNN. Uh, And obviously, we're going to talk a a little bit about the Omicron variant, Uh, although we have to do so with the acknowledgement that what we do know. Uh, is vastly eclipsed by what we don't know. But Dr. Lena Wen, well, uh, welcome back to our show.
1: Thank you. Great to join you again, Colin.
0: So, um, yeah, just for people who you know are kind of half following this, um, you know, what what do we actually know uh, about the new variant?
1: It's a good point, and I think that we really should interspace what we know with what we don't know and talk about this together, because whenever there are new variants, we look for three things. Is it more transmissible? Is it more virulent? And does it cause immune escape? And so let me take each of these three areas with Omicron. Number one, is it more transmissible? In South Africa, it does look like the answer is yes. It looks like Omicron is quickly outpacing the very contagious Delta variant there. It is um, causing a rise in hospitalizations. And the rate of spread is very fast, which is very concerning, although we don't know what that will look like here in the U.S. um, and in other countries. Second, is it more virulent? Does it cause more severe disease? We don't know the answer to this. Actually, preliminary reports in South Africa are actually positive in this sense, especially for vaccinated individuals. They do not seem to be getting as sick. However, it may be too early for us to tell because of the lack of time in between when somebody gets diagnosed and when they become severely ill. And then the third about immune escape. There's still a lot unknown about whether the vaccines and therapies that we have can still work against Omicron. Again, some initial reports, again, very very early reports from Israel, from South Africa, do suggest that people who are vaccinated have a lower rate of being sick with with Omicron, um, and we hope that that holds up. But this is the reason why we are recommending for everybody now to get the booster dose, which some people have been saying, well, if you don't know if the vaccines are effective, why do you? Why Why are you saying get the booster? And that's because we know that the booster increases your antibody levels by a lot. And so even if the vaccine is slightly less effective, having that strong of of an antibody response gives you an additional level of cushioning.
0: Because of sequencing, we do, know, uh, uh, we, knew, we do know stuff about the virus and how it's different, right? There's a lot of mutations, an unusually high number of mutations on the spike protein, including mutations that haven't been seen before. But I think what's important to understand, if I understand it and you can correct me, is that doesn't necessarily tell us anything about how or even whether those mutations will, will manifest in the phenotype of the virus.
1: That's a great way of putting it. Just because something has a lot of mutations doesn't necessarily mean that we need to be really worried about that variant. The reason people are so worried about Omicron is twofold. One is that in South Africa, there have already been signs that it's spreading very rapidly. So real world showing that it's it's really contagious. And also the types of mutations that are manifesting. Some of the mutations we saw before, for example, with the beta variant earlier, where it did look like that those mutations allowed the virus to evade partially the protection of our vaccines. And so if we're seeing them again in Omicron, that makes it worrisome.
0: Is it fair to say, Lena, I think I've heard this, uh, as you may remember, I'm addicted to things like TWIV and stuff like that, and I can't remember anymore where I've heard certain things, but I think I heard some experts say that, you know, although it's not universally consistent, the lifespan of a mutating virus like this one does often seem to point in the direction that you described before, increasingly high levels of transmissibility with uh, with each passing mutation, sometimes accompanied by a lower level of virulence, as you say, or lethality. I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? It's evolutionarily evolutionarily adaptive to to be transmissible, and it's not particularly adaptive to kill your host all the time.
1: That's exactly right. And it's also um, evolutionarily uh, um, advantageous for the virus to infect people, infect others, as many people as possible prior to the person who's infected, knowing that they're infected, as in, if you're coughing, sneezing, high fevers, you're probably not going out and interacting with others, at least you really shouldn't be. But there's that period of time before you're symptomatic, where you are interacting with others. That, in a way, is the ideal time. If you're a virus, that's the ideal time that you want to be able to infect other people because you get the maximum number. And so um, and and so I think, again, we're doing a lot of speculating here. The hope, of course, is that we eventually get to the point that we have a not lethal, but highly contagious virus. And that becomes the new SARS-CoV-2 that causes COVID-19, I mean, that would be great. But I don't think any of us really think that Omicron is it right now.
0: So, Alina, there's a corny old joke about a guy who's looking for his wallet. And he's looking for his wallet, not where he thinks he dropped it, but where the streetlight uh, is really good. Uh, and, and there's a way in which the discovery of this vaguely mir- mirrors that. I mean, people keep saying South Africa, South Africa. My understanding is South Africa is really good and has one or two researchers in, researchers in particular who are really good at sequencing. So they were sequencing. They caught this variant. Uh, they notified the world of it. Uh, I think they're kind of paying an unfair price.
1: I should say also um, that my husband is South African. I did clinical work and research in uh, in in Cape Town, um, and um, and I I very much agree with your assessment that so- that South Africa has some of the leading experts when it comes to virology, in part because they cut their teeth with the HIV AIDS epidemic, um, and they've been doing incredible work all along to monitor for the emergence of variants. It's very likely that Omicron originated in somewhere other than South Africa. Africa. It could have been even not even the continent of Africa it could have been European travelers or people from other places that brought it into um, into southern Africa. And so I do very much understand this sense of unfairness if you will by many South African researchers saying we did the we did the work you know we were transparent with the world and now we're being punished for it and so I do think that that's something that we have to remedy over time
0: right I think it's not just reputational too I, my understanding was that those very same researchers were having a shortage of reagents which they need to do they need to have to do the work uh, on sequencing and on the virus because suddenly FedEx or whoever doesn't want to fly a plane in there because they're not sure they can get their people out uh, you know to, to the next next defini- destination because of the travel restrictions. I mean, there's actually a concrete and unfair and and counterproductive penalty, uh, which seems just nuts to me. But I mean, maybe we should just sequence from there because your time is limited. It seems to me that the answer the the first answer i mean all the things we've been doing masking getting vaccinated all that kind of stuff but testing and then sequencing in lots of different places would seem to be important if we want to get some preliminary understanding of, of what omicron is and where it is
1: right i mean the us has done better than we were doing a couple months ago we have definitely ramped up our testing capabilities, um, our sequencing, we're now sequencing one in seven um, samples, but there are a couple of issues. One is that that's this, this is still relying on people getting the PCR test, which is pretty limited in, in a lot of areas. And also the sequencing here in the U.S. takes a lot of time. Mm. There's a big lag time between when sequences are submitted to the lab and when the results are coming back. And so I, I, I think we need to work on all of these elements, including to increase the amount of testing that's that's available
0: yeah i read in one place sometimes three to four weeks in between taking the sample and getting the final report i mean in that amount of time all kinds of opportunities get lost or or squandered Uh, i would also assume that you know having more rapid tests available uh, would help a lot and having them be affordable in a lot of these underserved communities are people who can't spend ten dollars every time they want to get a rapid test
1: Exactly. And so I think the more that we can be like other countries, the UK, for example, is giving um, tests free to everyone enough so that families are able to get tested twice a week if they wish to. We really need to get to that point. I know the Biden administration is ramping up testing a little bit, um, but I mean, or actually, I mean, to be fair, I I think they're ramping up testing a lot. Mm -hmm. However, it's not, the impact is not going to be felt for a while, as in they're working with insurance companies to reimburse for tests, but that's an additional layer. Insurance companies are pretty burdensome to work with at the best of times, and so submitting tests for reimbursement, I mean, it's just, that's not the ideal way of um of 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 getting test results rapidly
0: It seems as though everything this is not limited at all to omicron but everything about the virus and the situation we're in Argues in favor of rapid testing and rapid results, and a lot of it in order to catch it. Particularly as I mean, we have the vaccines, but we also have monoclonal antibodies and increasingly pretty promising antiviral pills. But both the antibodies and the pills, as I understand it, rely on being administered, you know, in a very early, let's say, like three-day window uh, to have maximum effectiveness. Right. So you, you kind exactly. of you, you need that information sooner rather than later.
1: That's a really good point um, that early treatment depends on early testing. If you are only able to make an appointment for a test in two days and then you get the result back in three days or something like that. By that point, you're out of the time window for early intervention with therapeutics. And so I think you make a really good point about yet another reason why we need a lot more testing. But I would just say, too, for testing. We need to get to the point that people are testing before going to work, before or before um, individuals are getting together over the holidays with their family and loved ones. Everybody should be able to get a test that day. It shouldn't be this rationing that I've seen a lot of people say, well, you know, I, the tests are $12 each. And um, if I'm testing a family of four, that's $50. And so do I really want to test for this event? No, let me wait until let me test for that event. I mean, that's that's not the way that this should work. Tests are also a preventive measure when used the
0: right way. It seems to me that this would be the last question because I know you have to go. But one of the places we should be testing instead of imposing travel restrictions, which are ridiculous, the things in 15 states or so already, uh, I, I think here, the Omicron, is, is it, we should be testing at airports, I, I, maybe even getting on the plane and getting off the plane. You should be tested before you get on the plane to make sure uh, you're not positive and, and, and maybe when you get off the plane to make sure you're not walking into a country and, and spreading more uh, of this disease. I suppose maybe that's a hard thing to sell to people who maybe don't want to be tested when they travel?
1: I think it's, I think there might be some people who don't want to do this, but I also think there are a lot more people who would feel a lot better boarding a plane where you're going to be sitting for many hours next to people um, who may not be wearing masks because maybe they're eating and drinking. Um, I would certainly feel a lot more comfortable if I know that everybody around me has just been tested. Um, And again, I think that, as we come into this next phase of the pandemic where the key is going to be, how can we live with the virus? How can we keep on doing the activities that we do with minimal disruption to our lives, but also keep safe? To me, testing before going to places and making sure that, that we're vaccinated and boosted, that seems to be a pretty small price to pay.
0: All right. So thanks so much. I mean, you know, maybe this blue sky sort of blue sky scenario will play out, you know, that it turns out that the Omicron, uh, because of its fitness, to use the the term of art, because of its fitness, will displace Delta and all the other variants and then turn out to be more transmissible but less lethal. But we just don't know that yet. Right. So keep masking, get vaccinated, all the usual stuff. Right, Lena?
1: That's exactly right. Um, we can hope Hope, though, is not a strategy. We need to plan for the worst. And right now, we actually have, just as of right now, we have more than 100,000 new daily cases mm. due to COVID. Mm. We have more than 1,600 people dying from COVID every single day. I mean, we are not at a good place in this pandemic, just regardless of Omicron. We have a surge of Delta due to the, due to the winter um, and to people gathering and letting down their guard. And so I would just urge everyone to be careful.
0: All right. You got to go. I'm a man of my word. Lena Owen, thanks so much for joining us, emergency room physician, visiting professor at George Washington University School of Public Health, contributing columnist to The Washington Post and to CNN. Thanks for being with us yet again.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Hi, I'm Ray Hartman. Season 3 of Where Art Thou is just around the corner. I'll be back on the road meeting incredible Connecticut artists. You'll hear their stories, and we'll throw in a few surprises as well. Season 3 of Where Art Thou premieres June 9th on CPTV. For more, visit ctpublic.org W-A-T. Support provided by the Richard P. Garmini Fund at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, the State of Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media, and Connecticut
0: Humanities. All right. So um, with some regularity, I either make an effort to communicate with people on social media who are embracing misinformation or uh, sort of destructively uh, um, uh, unorthodox uh, theories about COVID-19 and, and other matters, and just to find out kind of how they're thinking about things. Uh, and so I was very attracted to the article written by our guest today. Uh, it's. I should also reveal that over the weekend, this is just a coincidence, but over the weekend, I became a minority owner of the Green Bay Packers in the sense that a friend of mine uh, bought for me one share of Packers stock, which is the only professional sports team you can do that with. So joining us to talk about uh, how Aaron Rodgers dropped the ball on critical thinking and how with a little practice, you can do better than he did uh, is, and I hope I'm saying your name right. Is it Joe R.I.? Right, say your last name for me so I get it right.
2: It's Arvai. Arvai.
0: I got it. Okay. Joe Arvai. uh, He's the Dana and David Dornsife Professor of Psychology and Director of the Wrigley Institute of Environmental Studies at the University uh, of Southern California. Uh, I should point out that Aaron Rodgers attended a rival uh, university. Uh, I don't (laughs) don't know if that tinctured any of your thinking about this. But before you get going on this, let me just sort of give people an example uh, of what occasioned this particular article. This is not a discussion or an article. Really about Aaron Rodgers, but uh, he started it. Let's hear a little bit of him on the Pat McAfee show back in November. I'm not, uh, you know, some sort of anti vax flat earther. I consulted with a now good friend of mine, Joe Rogan. I've been yes. taking yeah. monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin. I feel pretty incredible. You know, that is what the media has been trying to do. They're trying to shame and out uh, and cancel all of us non-vaccinated people. It was such a witch hunt. The problem with this is it is so political. Health should not be political. Why do people hate ivermectin? Not just because, you know, Trump championed it. You know, Trump endorsed ivermectin and HCQ, and so take that off, it doesn't work. I realize I'm in the crosshairs of the woke mob right now. The great MLK said that you have a moral obligation to object to unjust rules. I am somebody who's a critical thinker, so it was my opinion that that wasn't rooted in any science. Okay, that was a slightly edited and sort of almost like a mashup of all the things he said on the Pat McAfee show. But uh, Joe Arvai, uh, as you look at this, and, and uh, given your background and your expertise, that line, I'm a critical thinker, I think that's what kind of attracted you to this as a kind of diving board to, to leap into a bigger pool of conversation.
2: Yeah, no, thank you, first of all, for, for having me on. It's a privilege to be here. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I listen, I like the National Football League I like watching football I think Aaron Rodgers is, is a terrific quarterback um so you know had this just been a story of of Aaron Rodgers choosing to go unvaccinated I probably wouldn't have even paid attention but it was listening to the Pat McAfee show where he sort of dropped that line that you know I'm not some anti-vax flat earther I'm a critical thinker uh it just so happens that critical thinking is is one of the things that I do in my research and just the pattern of of his behavior and the things he said some of the things that you aired in your clip there uh, suggest strongly otherwise that in fact, he wasn't following some pretty basic tenets of critical thinking. And that led him, I think, astray. That's ultimately why in the end, I think he became, um, infected with COVID. And really, the sad thing about this is he's got, he's got one big soapbox from which he can, uh, influence a lot of people. You know, one of the big things with critical thinking is, is people will look to experts when they feel out of their depth on something. Um, Ideally, they're looking for credible experts, but the fact is Aaron Rodgers has a big following. So when he says, I'm unvaccinated and I'm on ivermectin, I think that gives a lot of people license to do the same, and uh, we all suffer as a result of that.
0: So let's get uh, into your area here and, and, and talk a little bit about the way that things could be better. So one thing that we hear Rodgers do, and we hear a lot of people do this, is say, I, I check things out with experts. Uh, now, his expert, the, the site's by name, is Joe Rogan, who, of course, is not an expert. Uh, He's not an expert. So, say a little bit more about that. In terms of good critical thinking, obviously, I can't go into, you know, a BSL lab and, and start testing, you know, viral samples myself and try to understand SARS-CoV-2 that way. I have to rely on smart people to tell me reliable things. So, so yeah, how, how, does it, how does that connection work or not work?
2: Yeah, that's a really great question. So, you know, I think, you know, first of all, to talk about critical thinking in, 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 you know, from a 10,000 foot level, there are a few different things that are going on. One of them is it's uh, what we call a thinking style. So it's a way that people actually kind of pull the levers and turn their not turn the knobs on, on, on decision-making and judgment itself. Uh, But besides the sort of active part of critical thinking, there are these norms that are at play as well. And these norms really kind of create the guardrails for what, what, you know, high quality thinking and ultimately high quality judgment and decision making ought to look like. And those guardrails are things like a willingness to be convinced by opposing arguments, uh, you know, actively seeking out information to inform a position, even if that information runs contrary to to what you might initially believe, uh, believing that it's okay to change your mind. Uh, so there are these they're norms, they're sort of, you know, things that we just accept as good practice when we make judgments and decisions. So when you're looking for an expert to your question, one thing that we might do initially is look for someone's stature or their expertise. And I'll give you another example of someone who's, you know, said some rather interesting things about COVID-19 and other topics, you know, uh, Dr. Oz, you know, he's a doctor. So let me look to Dr. Oz as an expert that could inform me on critical thinking. But someone who's you know a really good critical thinker won't stop at the credentials. They will take it a little bit further and look for people who ought to have credentials, but who ultimately are also, also through their behaviors, um, ascribing or seem to be ascribing to these norms, the willingness to be convinced by opposing arguments, the willingness to change their mind, the willingness to seek out data, even if it runs contrary to initial positions. So in this sense, there's an additional sort of threshold uh, of expertise that a, a really good critical thinker is looking for. So someone like Joe Rogan, you know, he's got a platform, he he talks with authority, but is he is he sort of um is he emblematic of these norms around critical thinking? I would argue no. And I I want to say something really clear here but which is You know, in in Aaron Rodgers' own comments, he talked about this being a a political issue. It's politicized. You know, I'm part of the woke mob coming after him. I I don't think I am. And I I say that because if I look to people who have so-called expertise on the left side of the political divide, There are lots of folks there that as someone who's a critical thinker myself, I wouldn't be looking to for expertise either. So, you know, this isn't a Republicans versus Democrats thing. This is very much, uh, you know, who are legitimate experts who are ascribing to the norms of critical thinking and therefore who should I be trusting, uh, you know, ultimately for information. But in this case, with my life.
0: So I'm going to tell you a quick story here and this you will like this story because it will add uh, to your sense that your life And your activities are meaningful. Um, So um, I received an email from a listener uh, a few days ago. Uh, He begins by saying virtually everything we hear on public radio about COVID and healthcare in general are one-sided, following the party line. It would be interesting to know blah 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 blah. And then he he says uh, he sends me this links me to this video that's called COVID Revealed, Uh, and he says watch this, you know, and. so anyway, I opened it up and I'm landing on episode six. I guess I have to pay if I want to listen to the previous five. The video itself is two hours and 45 minutes long, and it's hosted, hosted by a guy named Patrick Gentempo, and the first guest is a guy named Brian Hooker. So I, I after I was trying to decide how I was going to answer this guy, and then I read your article. And so here's what I wrote back, and I hope you're proud of me. Uh, I, I wrote back, I said, a major aspect of critical thinking is knowing how to evaluate experts. In the case of this pandemic, the people who know the most are virologists, microbiologists, immunologists, epidemiologists, also the clinicians working in the infectious disease and pulmonary disciplines. The second tier are journalists who report on the findings of the first tier. Let's be clear. Patrick Gentempo is a chiropractor. You would no more seek him out for information about COVID than you would present yourself to a doctor of pulmonary medicine for treatment of a back injury. Hooker is a chemical engineer on the faculty of a Christian university with no medical school. His paper on MMR and vaccines and autism was retracted by that journal that published it for reasons of scientific misconduct. What I will never understand is why someone like you would willingly discard the work of thousands of highly trained doctors and scientists in favor of a handful Of marginalized soreheads with dubious expertise. Okay, how did I do?
2: Bravo. Yeah, A-plus for that. I mean, uh, I wish you were in my class. That would be perfect. <laughs> uh,
0: so, but I mean, to the, the the some of this also does, as you say in your article, require a certain amount of courage. And I, I'll give you an example that we might be able to talk through. One of the areas where I had to reverse my thinking was in the so-called lab leak hypothesis. Very quickly, uh, the evolution of that was initially um, the scientific community did not believe, despite the fact that there was, uh, you know, uh, a high security level infectious coronavirus uh, lab in Wuhan that that's how the virus got out into the community. that's how it got seeded uh, and, and increasingly it became politicized uh, to a certain degree. Uh, obviously President Trump in his day was pushing the idea that China was responsible for everything. A lot of scientists were saying no no no, that's not how it works, that's not how it worked. We know that lab blah blah blah. And you know ultimately a lot of people had to change a little bit and say, Wow. You know, the, and a lot of the scientists themselves said, OK, you know, we we might have jumped the gun there. There's at least, you know, a 40 to 50 percent chance it did get out of that lab somehow. But but th- I think that's unusual, isn't it? I mean, I think usually people stick to whatever orthodoxy they, they've made their own.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, I think when it comes to the fact that there's, I think, in, in many aspects of our lives, an absence of critical critical thinking, it it comes from the security we feel within our social and cultural and political tribes. So, you know, we want to conform, we want to be welcomed in those groups. So if I'm a Trump supporter, you know, and I hear him going on about whatever he's going to be going on about, you know, there is sort of a sense of security for me to toe the line, because I don't alienate my friends, I don't alienate my colleagues, and I don't sort of have to push myself out of my own comfort zone. Um, So to your point about courage, I think, you know, first of all, when I spoke earlier about critical thinking, I talked about the actual process, the thinking style pieces of this. There is an element of really digging deep into your soul, if you will, and trying to figure out what it is that motivates you as an individual, as a member of your community, what are your goals, what are your objectives, what are your values, and then ultimately making judgments and decisions that are in line with those things for you, for the people you care about, for the people you love, and not necessarily for a bunch of strangers that represent the political ideology. It's okay to break from a political ideology or a social uh, uh, kind of network when you're retreating to your own values or to the values that drive you as a part of your own uh, community. And increasingly, the, the the courage to do that and to do that publicly, certainly by someone like Aaron Rodgers, but also by a lot of public figures, whether they're on the left or the right side of the political divide, seems to be decreasing. So. You know, again, it's it's knowing who an expert is. It's having these norms around, um, you know, how I actually interface with information, and then, you know, knowing who I am as an individual, and then having the courage to express myself in that way. And to your point about the lab leak theory, you know, I suspect as more information comes to light you might change your mind a few more times mm-hmm. you might find yourself going back and forth and that's that's what it's all about so critical thinking isn't about hey there's a right answer out there and if i'm a critical thinker i'm going to find it what it is instead is there are better answers in the moment right now and i'm going to do my best to find them but this is going to be an evolutionary process it's going to be a process of adaptation i'm going to learn i'm going to be probing and i'm going to be willing to change my mind and if you're a public figure like aaron Rodgers or a political fig- figure, or even to someone who works in an office where you're sort of seen as the person who is this particular person to have the courage to come out and say, hey, you know, I've been looking into this. I've actively sought out information that went against my original belief. I've found these experts that are credible for these reasons. And as a result, for the moment, I'm thinking this way, you know, I'm going to go get vaccinated or I'm going to wear my mask or, you know, I'm going to you know, I'm going to talk to my friends about the lab leak theory with some authority as a possibility. That to me is something that we should be really proud of and we should celebrate. And, uh, you know, in talking to one of your producers earlier, I go back to, to, um, you know, the Bush campaign against Kerry where John Kerry was labeled a flip flopper in 2004. It sort of felt like at that moment, suddenly you were vilified for changing your mind when, you know, all the guy was doing John Kerry at the time was, you know, changing his views over time as he got more information about the Vietnam war or other social policies. So, yeah, something is something is not right. where changing your mind is now suddenly a sign of of social and individual weakness.
0: Yeah, my recollection is that Kerry kind of hurt himself by uh, some kind of fairly repeatable trope. It was something like I was for it before I was against it, or something, yeah, something that, like, that. Didn't help. He couldn't. For sure. he, but I, you're right. You know, and and this is often uh, not only is it not celebrated the ability to change your not mind based on new evidence. It's often taken not only as a sign of weakness of conviction but as a sign of error i mean the most prominent example i can think of is fauci having to reverse himself on masks he was not initially yeah. in favor of the general public wearing masks and ultimately had to come around to a different point of view and people who were eager to discredit him in a much more generalized way pointed to that as evidence that he didn't know what he was talking about
2: yeah and that's a real shame right i mean i think we're we're in this we're in this this, this stage in our, our societal development right now where if you make a mistake, it's clearly because you're an idiot. You know, it's, it's not because some new information has come to light or you've learned something, you know, our, our ability to, as I said earlier, sort of celebrate and, and welcome someone learning and someone who has the courage to learn publicly is suddenly something that we can point our fingers at and laugh. Um, you know, I can give a, lots of other examples. You know, on COVID, for example. You know, I, I'm not a, a, an epidemiologist either. You know, I, I don't even pretend to be one, but I hang out with some. I <laughs> hang out with microbiologists, and in talking to them, there's there's a lot of legitimate chatter about. You know, we're we're so focused, even with Omicron coming out now, on. Um, um infection rates as sort of the barometer of how good or how bad we're doing and we need these people are arguing to begin to shift our gaze in the direction of hospitalizations and mortality as a real as as a better sign of how we're coping with the pandemic and as those numbers continue to stay flat or trend down that you know we might sort of take our foot off the gas on infection rate and look at these other uh these other signals for for guidance about whether or not we should be doing this or doing that in response to the pandemic and i think there's a lot to be said there But even even having that kind of conversation seems like it it seems fraught for a lot of people who do this for a living, because suddenly it opens the door to, I think, a lot of crackpots who would say, oh, well, you see these guys don't know what they're talking about. First, they were obsessed with this. Now they're obsessed with that. And you know what? This is a big hoax meant to, to keep the working man down. And it goes past COVID. It goes into all kinds of social issues. You know, we're having an abortion debate. We're talking about guns again, of course, climate change. If you just look at sort of political partisanship in general, there is just this tendency to be hardened in our thinking, hardened in our views of the world, and uh, and and we're all suffering as a result of it. I just I kind of feel like you know we're, and, until we can sort of break through this, we're going to be in some some big trouble.
0: All right. We have to stop there. Joe Arvi, thank you so much. Uh, He is the Dana and David uh, Dornsife Professor of Psychology and Director of the Wrigley Institute of Environmental Studies at USC. Uh, He wrote his article for The Conversation. Thanks very much for being with us. Go Packers, but also please get vaccinated.
3: Jets. I've got a theory
0: we should work this First of all, uh, I, it's time for me to thank Kat Pastor. She's our technical producer today and ideally every day. Senior producer of The Colin McEnroe Show, Lily Tyson, produced this particular episode thanks to both of them. And so what have we done so far? Well, we begin talking to Lena Wen uh, about the biology and epidemiology of Omicron. Uh, then we talked to an expert in critical thinking uh, about how people either do or don't correctly evaluate claims not made not just about COVID-19, but by all kinds of things. And now we're going to talk about the way that information reaches people. Uh, and some of that information is maybe not so great. Uh, so every, my son, as some of you know, has been struggling with very serious um, medical problems for quite some time. And I've developed the habit uh, before I go to bed If I'm not with him, um, I I like to send him like an animal video because a funny animal video because he likes those kinds of things. Last night, I think I sent him a video of a cow sliding down a hill. So, um, well, it turns out I should be very careful. (laughs) If at least I care about what other things go with it, which animal videos I pick out uh, and who's making them available to me. And to explain more about that is Davy Alba, a technology reporter for The New York Times. Her recent article is Those Cute Cats Online? They Help Spread Misinformation. Welcome to our show.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: So the premise is that a lot of people are like me and my son. You know, I mean, one of the ways that we kind of communicate and try to please one another is by sharing, sending back and forth animal videos. I mean, they're, they, you know, from, from the dawn of YouTube, whenever that was, they were among the most popular thing, especially if it, if it involved a cat playing a piano. Um, and mm-hmm. so I guess it was probably just a matter of time before this happened. But you should explain by what is meant by this.
3: Sure, absolutely. So um, this article I wrote last week, um, it's about cute animal posts going viral as they tend to do. We can all understand why that happens. Um, And that being a vehicle for spreading misinformation online, including political misinformation and coronavirus misinformation. Um, And I can go into the details of exactly how that works, Um, but I think, you know, the basics of it is sort of what you flicked at earlier. It's, you know, who made the video, uh, which pages are promoting it and publishing this content and what other types of content they are publishing. Um, All of those things are really crucial um, pieces of information that we should um, pause and consider before we share another video of a cute animal.
0: Right. And so, I mean, part of the problem, too, is there were the kind of the guardians of good information uh, and the guardians against bad information were kind of playing a game of whack-a-mole. And and so one of the moles that got whacked, I mean, Facebook eventually decided to step up uh, its Mm -hmm. monitoring procedures and, and to look for things that directed people to either, you know, completely... Uh, bogus claims about election results or QAnon theories or really bad uh, COVID theories. Um, But I guess what you're sort of discovering is the people who want to circulate that kind of stuff, all they really, well, one option in the game of whack-a-mole is to put a cute cat video up and kind of link it to the other stuff they want to get you to.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it works because platforms um, online like Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, they work on algorithms that promote other stuff that a publisher puts out alongside uh, innocuous things like um, wholesome videos of a family moment or you know a woman shaving a baby, saving a baby shark stranded on a shore. So um, you know this is this is a tactic that um, has gotten increasing popularity and more recently it has become clear just how widely it's being used obviously people have been posting cute animals from you know almost the beginning of the internet itself um but now we have more data and information about how well this tactic works um facebook recently came out with a widely viewed content report they only started doing that this year and from that, we can see just how many views each piece of content gets. And one of the biggest purveyors of um, misinformation uh, is Epic Media. Um, they run the the Epic Times, um, a newspaper that's tied to Falun Gong and spreads anti-China and right-wing conspiracies. And, you know, they they say in their content report widely viewed content report that epic is one of the top 20 pages on all of facebook the entire platform um this page trending world by the epic times posts frequently about cute cats and then they will pull in other articles on the website um including false stories about election fraud Um, and false stories about the coronavirus. And and that's just one stark example. A bunch of other misinformation actors do this as well. Um, Dr. Joseph Mercola, who is a chief spreader of coronavirus misinformation, has a whole section on his website um, of just basically cute animals, um, pet advice. Um, The the most shared stories on his site are actually those types of things. with headlines that that include kitten and chick nap so sweetly together and why orange cats might be different from other cats. <laughs> um, and then alongside that, they will publish their um, stories about how natural immunity is the best way to fight off COVID and that you shouldn't get the vaccine because it will harm you.
0: <laughs> right. So let's backtrack for a second. We'll go back to Epoch uh, Times. It's, by the way, spelled E-P-O-C-H. I don't necessarily okay. uh, encourage you to either Google them or look them up on YouTube because you will then never get rid of them. Um, <laughs> and I mean, they're just going to be popping up in front of you for a really long time. And, and so, as you say, they're kind of they've turned into kind of the stop and shop, you know, kind of a a super uh, shopping center for all kinds of uh, 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 of discredited information, they right. start. They started out just really pissed off at the Chinese government. Uh, if you were a member of Falun Gong, you'd be mad at the Chinese government too. But it, somehow or other, just spread out from that, and they're just in everything, including American politics, as you say, and and, and biomedical research, especially the pandemic, um, and and the number that you reported, I think, was pretty astonishing. Epoch Media has published videos of cute animals in twelve thousand and sixty-two posts on its 103 Facebook pages in the past year, according to uh, New York Times' analysis. That's a, that's a lot. And I think, yeah. Yeah, I think it also helps me understand a little bit. So in the previous segment, I was talking to this critical thinking guy, and I just for fun, once in a while, I'll interact with somebody who's, who wants me to accept some bad information. And mm-hmm. and I, I said to this guy, I said, you know, I mean, it just what uh, astonishes me. He'd sent me a video that involved... Um, this guy, uh, Brian Hooker, who's a uh, chemical engineer, who's one of the fundamental circulators of the vaccine, cause. Vaccines cause autism myth. Uh, His paper had been, in fact, discredited and retracted by the journal that published it uh, for uh, scientific malpractice. Uh, And then, like, the host of the program was, you know, a a chiropractor. I said, really, what I don't get, I said to this guy who was emailing me stuff, is why you, you know, with thousands and thousands of of reports and information available from thousands of scientists working directly on these questions— uh, and in and the, the work of a journalist like a Apoorva Mandeville at your newspaper and, and and Ed Young and people like that, you know, why are you looking at something with a chiropractor <laughs> and and, right. a, and a discredited <laughs> chemical engineer? Davey, I think you're providing part of the reason because they sort of bait and switch you um, uh, into this into this pipeline.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what um, this phenomenon is pointing at, um, you know, a misinformation expert, um, I spoke with, Melissa Ryan, um, calls this engagement bait. Um, and, it, you know, it, it once you engage with this kind of content, um, it makes your other posts more prominent on people's feeds so it's 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 absolutely just a tactic that um has been cemented over the many years that the internet has been around and now we're seeing it be applied to misinformation um content so you know if this was a tactic that people use to grow their audience um, for just a news site or something that, you know, that's a pretty well-worn tactic um, and one we've known about for a while. Um, but now we're seeing it for the spreading of false um, conspiracy theories about all sorts of things.
0: So, you know, in a way, your report talks about something that we do in a relatively casual and carefree way, which is forwarding cute videos or articles about how orange cats are smarter than other cats, oh, stuff like that that we wouldn't be particularly worried about, and we wouldn't be eager to fact check whether the cat is really playing the piano, um, you know, <laughs> you because know, that's a fun thing that we do. And the problem is that it's attaching itself, it's linking itself to stuff that we really should be very careful about, and we should be careful we're getting good information, and that we're sharing good information that with, people, with people we care about. So I don't know. How... how How do how does a conscientious and knowledgeable person address that problem and make sure you're not casually hooking your grandmother up with, you (laughs) know, with the Epoch Times by mistake?
3: Yeah, there's a few telltale signs that show that it's being used to spread misinformation Um, on Facebook's widely viewed content report you'll see that one of the top, top links across the entire platform is a subscribe link to the newspaper. And that's just stuffed into these videos. So, you know, it'll be an innocuous video of, um, again, like a woman saving a baby shark from the shore. Um, uh, uh, And then at the very bottom of the post, it will say, get, you know, Epic Times journalism and here's the link to subscribe. So we have to sort of look at all the elements of a post and see what else it could be sneakily promoting, and fami- familiarizing ourselves with who the actors are behind those things. Um, it's it's a really fascinating tactic because um, there's a whole ecosystem set up for this sort of thing. We you know in our in our reporting we we talk about. Um, companies like and Media and ViralHog, whose entire business is set up to identify these um, very shareable videos and and photos, and then they license those clips out to basically any media publication, including the Epic Times, um, and and they then use those pieces of um, those videos for any purpose they wish. So they'll stuff links. They'll, you know, um, because Facebook is a, an algorithmically driven news feed, they will switch back and forth between, um, you know, posting about cute animals and then posting about the coronavirus and falsehoods about the coronavirus. Or another thing that we can see is um, there will be a feed of cute animals just, you know, started in, let's say, the, the summer. And then in the fall, they'll pivot to um, false stories. So these are some of the things that that is happening. And I think it's just a good reminder when we're all trying to be conscious of media literacy and sort of being smart about the media that we're consuming to, to note what other elements might be attached to seemingly heartwarming, innocuous content.
0: Right. I mean, the alternative is to start making videos with a talking golden retriever who says, wow how important it is for everybody to get vaccinated, uh, you know. And yeah. but, <laughs> Why but, not? <laughs> but, but it does feel, and this will be the last question, but and it may not be a fair question, but I'll ask it anyway, uh, which is, uh, I'm thinking back to, I think it might have been 2017, 2018, Pew Research, the journalism arm of Pew Research, they assembled like 100 people kind of people like you, people who are really experts about technology and information and stuff like that, and said, look, we're clearly in an arms race right now. There are people who want to use the digital landscape and social media to circulate false information, uh, and then there are people looking for ways to either improve media literacy, as you say, or, or technologically fix and identify, uh, or identify and then fix, ways in which this is happening. And they, they asked these hundred or so people, How optimistic are you that the good guys are going to win? Uh, And it was 50-50. 50% Uh, 50, 50 said, we're sunk. This is too complicated. It moves too fast. You know, the moles under the mallet are just moving uh, away from the mallet so fast and finding new holes. We just can't catch up with them. And then other people thought, eh. You know what? I'm guessing, based on the work that you do, the reporting that you do, you've heard similar things. I don't know. How optimistic are you about this? I mean, it, it, the problem does, the misinformation problem, the rabbit hole problem, to mix rodent metaphors, seems to be getting worse as opposed to better.
3: Yeah, um, I am. I I would say I, I sort of take a pessimistic view, to be totally honest, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense because I I'm focused on misinformation and all the different forms and sort of um metamorphoses that it takes um you know if, if it's not this tactic that i'm covering it's another that get, gets around um loopholes mm-hmm. of social media platforms and things like that um the good news is you know we are now quite aware that this is a thing and that you know it's it's work that we need to be putting in to um inform ourselves keep ourselves you know abreast of all of the all of the various ways that misinformation actors are getting around social media rules and then you know from the from the platform side they are becoming increasingly aggressive as well and stamping this sort of thing out i think it's a matter uh it's a community thing really it's once there is enough pressure from all sides and we are all aware of just how big this problem is, then we can start to see the changes um, that we all hope for a healthier media ecosystem that promotes good information. Um, personally, I don't necessarily subscribe to the belief that this is something that, say, the New York Times should be doing, you know, sort of just going and publishing videos of cute animals um, every other every other story. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm hoping for a better a better healthier outcome, which is that you know all of us in the community can can play our own parts to become more aware of this problem, to put pressure on the right people, the right legislators, the social media companies themselves to do the right thing. And um, hopefully get us out of this situation. Um, it's going to be a collective effort on all of our parts.
0: All right. Well, uh, good words uh, to end with, Davey Alba, a techno- technology reporter for the New York Times. A recent article is "Those Cute Cats Online They Help Spread Misinformation." Thanks for doing this today with us, and to the rest of you, thanks for listening. We'll be here all week long with more shows. So stick around. Angelicals do Angelicals